This is the Alchemy of Art podcast, episode 81, Process Art and Coaching with Annalise Gentili. Our quote of the day was said by Annalise in her book, From Chaos to Calm. She wrote, it is right there at the edge between the unknown and the known, where the greatest learning happens. Creativity resides at the edge of chaos, suspended betwixt the comfortable and the uncomfortable. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives. Alchemy is the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another. And we all do this every day. Whether you are a painter, a sculptor, a baker, or a gardener, every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we explore ways we can change both our physical and spiritual selves for the better. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. I'm an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Beta. I teach online creativity classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose, and my new book that was recorded for Audible, Start Selling Your Art, a guide for starting a professional art business. When this podcast first started, it was to share stories about artists, and then that morphed into artist interviews, and now we've expanded our topic of discussion to include ways that everyone can harness their creative energy. If you want to find out more about what I do, sign up for my uh, newsletter. Then you want to go to studioalchemy.art. Today, we are interviewing Annalise Gentili about her creative work. Annalise M. Gentili is an executive integrative life and leadership coach, speaker, author, and artist with a master's in coaching from the Maryland University of Integrative Health. She has studied conflict transformation and peace building at the European Graduate School in Switzerland and transformative leadership at the Thai Sophia Institute. Annalise facilitates inspiring retreats and conferences at a wide variety of companies, including IBM and SAS Institute and North Carolina State University and the North Carolina Bar Association and so many more. It was this too many to list. <laughs> In her personal and group coaching programs, she encourages progress and growth to help coach her clients through change. Earlier in Annalise Gentili's career, she worked in theater and television production, management, corporate trainings, and in the visual arts, where, you know, working in the television and, and all that, you got to meet some pretty big names. <laughs> she got to meet some pretty big names. Annalise has served on the board of the Art Therapy Institute, the Center for Human Earth Restoration, and is currently serving on the board of Triangle Art Works. Annalise also enjoys leading meaningful celebrations, sacred ceremonies, and officiates weddings. She's an ordained interfaith minister through the Universal Life Church and Earth Star Spiritual Center. Annalise Gentili wrote a book titled From Chaos to Calm, Leading Change from the Inside Out. I listened to the book on Audible 
And as I did, I kept having to run and grab a piece of paper to write down these wonderful nuggets of wisdom because um, there's there just so much meaningful, uplifting material in the book that I highly recommend it. Um, one of my favorite quotes from the book was this. She wrote, balance is not stagnant. So many of us strive for a balanced life when in reality, it's really about being able to move while life moves us, like surfing. Balance is more about letting go than striving for a perfect state. Balance is not about finding comfort or staying there, but being okay with movement. Love it, love it, love it. So, uh, so much is in her book. Again, it's called From Chaos to Calm. And you can find out more about Annalise on her websites. There's conduitforchange.com and annalisegentilly.com. And I'll have a link to those in the show notes. Okay. How do I know Annalise? Uh, this is such an exciting uh, uh, chat to have uh, today because I have not spoken to Annalise in maybe 25 years at least. It's been a very it's, long time. It's been a long time. So I probably met Annalise about 30 years ago. When I was in middle school, she was in high school, she was a couple years older than me, and I was best friends with her sister, Kara. So Kara and I would pal around and I would go to the Gentilly household, which is a very exciting place <laughs> because her parents are, were very dynamic. Um, her dad was a, a real character. He taught me how to chop vegetables the proper way so that I would not Aww. hurt myself. That's yeah. So sweet that he shared that wisdom with you. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget the look on his face when he saw how I had been chopping. <laughs> and um, and then I remember distinctly about um Annalise's mom saying to me once, be a leader. Be a leader. And I don't even remember what we were talking about, but that has stuck with me. And, and her, both of her parents were very strong uh, people. And, um, and I remember Annalise being the older, cool sister who uh, was in high school and seemed very sophisticated to me. So I really looked up to uh, Annalise. I don't know how Kara felt about you. <laughs> but, sure. I'm sure there's a little strife even today. <laughs> Thank you, Addie. That's so sweet. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I remember about that time was how creative Annalise would be. And here's an example. There was a note that Annalise wrote and she left it on the table. Maybe it was for her mom. I don't remember if, if it was for us or somebody who it was for, but it was written out in all these little pictures in a way that we now use emojis on texting, mm -hmm. you know, so it would say, you know, you know, dear, you know, picture of the person, heart, 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 all this, all these pictures in it. And I just thought it's so creative and wonderful. And Annalise has this really fresh way of looking at the world. And so it's not surprising that um, you've done so much. And, uh, and anyway, I, I'm talking to you, but then I'm also telling your bio. And so now we'll just start talking to you, Annalise. So welcome to the show. I'm Thank so you, Addie, for you having me here. It's a thrill. Thank you for inviting me and for reconnecting after all these years. And I'm, I'm tickled and I'm moved that you have so many wonderful memories of my yeah. family and of me and that you've already listened to my book and that you took my mother's advice and uh, 
became the leader that she obviously saw that you were destined to be. I'm curious, how are you cutting your vegetables today? (laughs) (laughs) I cut them very well. I I cut lots of vegetables (laughs) every day. Well, I'm super proud of you and I'm, I'm humbled and grateful to be here. So, um, tell me, how can I share wisdom today? I'm so curious about your community and what they love to hear. And I, I hope that what I share is, is good for their hearts and their souls, and their imagination. Oh, I don't thought that it will be. So I have some questions for you. Yes, ma'am. Um, yes. Yeah, so the first question is, it's been so long since I've seen you and you've done so much in your career. Um, you know, the last I had heard you were doing Broadway shows and doing hair and makeup, and then you were traveling around the country or something. I mean, this is a vague memory of what I remember. And you've done so much. So what major milestones have you gone through? What have you learned? I know that's a big question, but you can focus on whatever you feel inspired to share. Well, it's true. Probably the last time we connected, i I was on Broadway, which was 21 years ago, because I I left Broadway in 2000, right before 9-11. But prior to that, I was traveling, I was on the road, I was on national Broadway company tours, I was a hair and makeup artist um, doing theater, and then eventually that evolved into television and film, uh, to then doing three, being the private hair and makeup artist for three North Carolina governors in a row. And then... um, I I learned through my process that the creative world that was my nine to five, or that's not really nine to five at all because it was theater. Sometimes it was 18 hours a day. uh, So that's not true at all. It was more seasonal and having to do with, you know, whatever jobs were, were there for me to do, taught me the value of the creative process. And it taught me the value of having an end goal but not knowing particularly how you were going to reach it, skipping over the worrying part and simply putting your nose into a barrel of ideas and sifting and really having a stressful amount of fun to figure it out. (laughs) I mean, it's inevitable, you know, someone's wig might fall off or a set piece will get broken or you know someone will be sitting on the toilet when they're supposed to be on stage but the reality is everyone's going to figure it out and that that intensity of theater and film production and imagination as a lifestyle taught me some incredible valuable lessons for life mm-hmm. and when i quit broadway in 2000 i took up blacksmithing because that made sense. And <laughs> in that world, um, I, I had in my, in my Broadway experience, felt like I had gotten, only now can I say I was experiencing burnout. I was, I don't even remember, late 20s probably at this point. And I was exhausted. And I think my mental and emotional health was at an end point. And I had extended myself creatively so much so that it, it really affected my mental health. Mm-hmm. And so I literally just had to quit. 
and I have a whole experience and a whole story about maybe a whole other podcast. I can go down <laughs> different rabbit holes to, or else it will be spend the whole podcast on this one story. Um, but essentially when I, when I quit, I didn't know the what's next. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I didn't know the end game. I just knew I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. I was exhausted. I felt trapped. I felt um, like my addictive behaviors of my earlier childhood, eating too much or drinking too much was affecting my capacity to feel alive outside Mm -hmm. of my work. That that was my only living was work. And I knew that wasn't Mm -hmm. what I wanted for my whole life. So at not yet 30, I was burnt out Mm. and I had to do something else. I didn't know what. So I just simply quit and I was inspired by some flyer somewhere that came in the mail for John C. Campbell Folk Art School in the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So I quit Broadway and I took up blacksmithing because, (laughs) you know, it didn't make sense, but I'll tell you what, Addie, it, it did make sense what, like 18 years later, when I go to write my book, From Chaos to Calm, Leading Change from the Inside Out. And my blacksmithing experience taught me the value of resilience. And there's a formula of resilience that I learned while melting metal. And it's very simple. With enough heat or the conditions of change, you can bend something stiff and hard and create a new shape. With too much condition of change, you lose integrity. The shape can no longer be formed. The integrity of the metal becomes, you cannot get that form back. You can't bring the metal back after it has been melted beyond this condition. It flakes off and you lose integrity. Not enough conditions of heat, you experience resistance. Not enough conditions of change. So when you think about our lives, when we force ourselves into a shape that we're not Mm -hmm. either ready for or the conditions aren't ready, Mm -hmm. we experience resistance and a kind of fighting. And that can either be not wanting to let go or not wanting to move forward or not wanting to fill in the blank. With just enough conditions of change, i.e. chaos, because I say creativity resides at the edge of chaos, just enough, you can create a new shape because there's some letting go-ness going on, but there's also grasping onto something else, something that we don't know of until after that has come into form and you look back. Mm -hmm. So long answer to your question, um, many, many, many episodes in my life along the thread of the creative process, being a creative, making art and selling it, whether that was metalwork or painting or sculpting or working in theater, it wasn't until sometimes years later or even decades later that I'm able to look back and see that this arc of either destruction or creation in either the work I made or the life chapter I was in taught me something profound that helps me in life. Mm. And that creative insight has become the medium for me to work with people to navigate change as a coach. 
Mm. So I quit Broadway, took up blacksmithing, wound <laughs> up doing art with metalwork for three years, three or five years, something like that. Then had another series of really traumatic, chaotic things. Yes, you'll have to read it, the book, because it's too much to explain here. But you know, <laughs> the whole nine yards divorce, death. Uh, I wound up moving to Dubai because that also made sense. And then I became a manager of like a hard rock cafe in Dubai. And all of these threads then eventually led me back to Raleigh trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do next? And one conversation I had with a woman at NC State who was in charge of, I think, organizational development at the time, I sat at her desk and I said, I am so lost. Mm. And she says, where do you want to go? And I said, I don't know, but it's not it's not nothing and it's not where I am now because I have nothing tethering me. Mm. And she said, what do you think you need to get to whatever it is, even though you don't know what it is? <laughs> and I said, I have to retool, reframe my education in some way. And I never went to college. I became a career person at the age of pretty much 19, 18 even. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So without a college education, my wisdom doesn't translate. And selling art for selling art's sake didn't make sense for me because I felt like there was a bigger storyline that my purpose in the world is about and that has to do more about helping people see differently versus just creating for sales sake. So mm -hmm. process versus product. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, if you're saying you need to go back to school or go to school in the first place. And I said, I think so. But that is really, really scary because it's expensive and it mm -hmm. can take a long time. She said, well, how long? And I said, well, I don't know. Normal people take four years. It might take me longer because I have to work. She mm -hmm. says, well, 10 years is going to happen whether you like it or not. So you might as well be doing what's going to help you to get to the next chapter of your life. And it was a real gift and a little bit of a curse <laughs> <laughs> because I did. I, I took that leap and I started my college career at the age of 31 is when I started college for the first time. Okay. And I went to Wake Tech for three years. And then I went to St. Aug for two. Then I studied in uh, Switzerland and then finished with a master's in coaching. And throughout all of this time, I was looking back at my life and looking mm -hmm. back at, at what point did creativity serve me? And every time I had a traumatic thing in my life, I went back to my, my core mm -hmm. of imagination. Mm -hmm process of creating is healing. Mm -hmm. And I thought I wanted to study art therapy, but it turned out that coaching is a good merge for me because I think that therapy has a place, but it's not a place for everybody. But coaching is a larger net that's for more people. And mm -hmm. the power of the creative process helps people see what they can't see, and I think, I think artists or those who believe they are 
creatives in nature can see things that other people can't. And we become portals for healing to occur and portals mm-hmm. for insight and perspective to emerge. And I think it's a very, very important leadership role in society that the modern artist plays. Because I, I, think, I think artists are shamans. <laughs> and if we think about that, it, it's a different responsibility that's held. <clears throat> and in ind- indigenous cultures, there is no word for creativity or for art because it's, it is what is conditioned within a person. It's not separate. It's not like this is an artist and this is a farmer. Like you are all things in once. It's an integrative approach, which is why full, st- full circle, I have an integrative approach when I work with my clients to help them engage either creative insight or sometimes creative making with the container of an intended goal or outcome. So it isn't just a linear, I'm going to make this and then it's just out the door. It's not a linear process or product. It's a, it's a process. It's more circular. Mm-hmm. We, we, we come back to how did you see this? How do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if all of your listeners, if, if they at all took any type of art class, they would probably think back and say, oh, when I took an art class, a part of the class involved critique. And the critique part is like the scariest part of being an artist in an art class <laughs> to show yourself and your work in front of your peers and your teacher. It's vulnerable. And then they get, yeah, being really vulnerable. Um, this vulnerability helps you see your work differently and other work differently. So I think in a way that gift of critique sort of comes back to the coaching table. Like, what do you see? How is this working for you? How is this not working for you? What do you wanna create that's different? Um, what, What value has emerged here for you? What do you wanna do with that? So I think there's a lot that the arts as an artistic person and as a creative person taught me as a youth like when you and I met, mm-hmm. taught me as a career professional, being immersed in the arts as, as, as an income generating career. And now in this maybe th- third career chapter of my life, because I'm, I'm almost 50, is, is leading me into a kind of uh, very full expression that's coming back around. It's like <laughs> pulling the string. It reminds me of um, uh, like you pull on the hem and the fabric just accordions back on itself. <laughs> and I'm sort of creating this nice little compact package for um, my mentoring in the world. Very wow. long answer to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. There's so much in there. It's so great. <laughs> um, yes. All right. So there's so many things that you do. And one of them um, you oftentimes do with your clients is process art. 
Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with it, can you describe you know, the intuitive painting process or just any type of process art and why that's important? And um, side note, I love doing process art and um, intuitive painting is a word that we didn't have until a few years ago. And I, one of my podcasts uh, a while back, we, the person and I were talking um, uh, and this was before the flow. I've interviewed Flora Boley, who's an intuitive painter on the show. Um, but I think it was somebody right before that. And, and they said, intuitive painting, this is what we do, right? We've been using these words, but it wasn't, it wasn't a really officially a, a, a term yet. Um, so that's, you know, just to give you a little bit of background um, about what I come, that my, where I'm coming from with the intuitive painting process. How would you describe it to people? Well, I think, again, this goes back to indigenous wisdom, where there was a time where we didn't have to define the creative process. It was mm -hmm. ingrained. It was ex expected. It was intuitive, but you didn't have to call it that because you didn't need to <laughs> yeah. say that this is intuitive and this is not. It yeah. just is. Uh, and that is, I would say, defined as an inner knowing. Mm -hmm. And as an intuitive painter, And I wouldn't label myself as an intuitive painter. I would just label myself as a as a creative. I mean, okay. as a person. Okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> you, I, mean you, I guess that you can call it as as any of those. Um, yeah. I call myself a process artist to give it a, a different term. But as as an artist and a coach, I use on occasion based upon the person and where they are and their need and what we're working on, a variety of different creative tools or outlets to access a deeper level of knowing. How that shows up for me and my clientele can vary. So if I may have a client who's here in person, we may use imagery. Like, what do you see? What do you think happened before in the, when this picture was taken? What about afterwards? Write a poem about that. That could be a way of experiencing something. Um, I may have them do something tactile, like expressive arts. I may have them do, do you know, an eyes closed experience to feel something or imagine something or journal in that, in an in-person an, in session or okay. even on the phone. When it comes to painting, I have a variety of different threads and processes for clients to experience, whether that's at a retreat or again in a coaching session. I have a class called Art in the Garden, which I've been doing for seven years and it uses nature and food and watercolor painting to help people connect to a deeper creative insight within themselves. Just the process of an immersion. I don't tell them they're going to follow a specific plan. Not everybody's painting is gonna look the same. I'm gonna teach them one by one. What do you see? What feels good to you? What is most important for you to capture in this? And then I'll, 
I'll play off of maybe what they say and say, so I see you're getting really detailed. Do you like Excel sheets? And they might go, well, I love Excel sheets. I said, okay, so good for the detail, but now I want you to get really wild, really like have a mess on your page for a while and interplay between the, the extremes just to see what happens. So I, I tease the, the structure and I use art to get to know what kind of person they are. So if I see them doing something, I say, okay, so I'm, they may be uh, a more detail-oriented person, or they may be more abstract, or sometimes if someone has put a lot of flowers in their vase, it's hard to paint that many flowers. So I'll say, are you a coupon clipper? Do you like a lot of sales? Are you a really big online shopper? And they'll go, oh yeah. And I was like, and when's the last time you cleaned your car? And they're like, mm. <laughs> could could be cleaned a little bit so it turns out they may you know take in a lot of stuff and they don't may have enough space so I said what's your biggest struggle in life stressed out o overwhelm maybe having some space in your painting may help you have space in your life mm. for someone to change they need to first see where they need a little bit of room for improvement. So art making is a mirror for patterns that are internal. And mm. I use experiences to help them access that. Now, another way that I use art mm. for insight is I have a very large painting in my home that I painted live intuitively on stage <laughs> at RTP during a conference. So it's during a big conference. There's over 200 people at this conference. The presenter is presenting, they have a PowerPoint and they have a particular topic and it's like, but I'm on the side, not too far off, using only primary colors in my hand with this big canvas that's like four feet by four feet big. And I'm painting based upon what I'm experiencing, mm. what I'm hearing, what the audience questions are. And those questions are informing how I am interpreting th their language. Mm. So there's an interpretation going on that's in the moment that allows the observers in the audience to engage in a new creative way of learning to have not quite a somatic experience, but a, a visual pattern experience, which plays off of the amygdala in the back of the brain. And like, again, another podcast topic <laughs> on how we see patterns and yeah. how those patterns are either comforting or cause upset and resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they can be you know, obviously very good for learning, for learning to deepen. Yeah. That painting, Dried, now is a coaching tool that I use with some clients. It's also a tool I use for some team building. So mm -hmm. it's huge, but it actually is broken up into 17 different canvases. So it's sort of this huge puzzle. And I have uh, prompts based upon the presentation okay. attached to the back. And so I'll have a client, specifically the ones who have a real hard time 
tapping in. They're just very heady. They're way outside even their intellectual frame. But I can do a sneaky vegetable. <laughs> get right under the skin <laughs> in three to five minutes with just the right question and just the right creative move. And I have had people who were, I mean, tough, hardcore CEO, like you can't get under my skin kind of fellows who would cry. Tap into something so fast and be really surprised, really, really surprised that mm -hmm. they were able to go there. Mm -hmm. And that's what creativity does. It develops a sense of trust and empathy and bridging in a way that no other form on this planet can. Mm -hmm. And the beauty is creativity can be a making or a shared seeing or a shared playing, um, it is an engaged state mm. of existence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, drop mic. Yeah, <laughs> That's so much to say. Oh, so wonderful. I, and I'm, I'm at the very beginning of what all that you just said. You talked about, you know, we have a word like intuitive painting and, and but we already were doing it we just didn't have the word yet but do we even need the word I think I think it's an interesting question because sometimes labels can be so helpful in in to articulating what is important or who we are um, but then they can also be constrictive and they can limit us if we get caught thinking I have to fit into this definition. So for example, if I said, I am a painter, that's what I do, I paint. But it, if I need to widen the definition of, of how I'm using just all of my life energy, I don't need that label anymore, right? So I don't know, I just think that's a, it's interesting what you said about, about words. Um, yeah, labels can be very restrictive. Mm -hmm. Because think about a definition of a definition. What defines a definition? And from a different perspective, that definition is either not going to hold water and it will become something else, or it will become so defined, it also becomes something else. <laughs> so definitions themselves are not useful. It's information plus perspective equals an interpretation. Mm -hmm. And our frame of reference from pure past experience is going to filter how we define something. And over time, and even over generations, words change. Mm -hmm. Everything changes. Mm -hmm. The only constant so, is change. <laughs> exactly. And I'll, you could look at Webster and say, well, this is the definition and this is what it means, um, which is so interesting because even in my book, I talk about the word creativity it really wasn't defined until like 1900s and then really ramped up around the 1970s. It wasn't a word. 
because it, it, it wasn't something separate. It's like trying to name bark different than tree, but bark doesn't exist without a tree. So we don't say, mm -hmm. oh, there's a bark. We say, no, there's a tree. But we mm -hmm. have an assumption, okay, all these things are together and a tree makes up this expression that most likely includes leaves. It has some type of skin, it has a root system, it needs water and it doesn't walk around. Like sort of have this idea of, of what it is. <laughs> Not in my yard, they walk around. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, great. Um, Oh, so my next question for you is about coaching itself. You know, you have a master's degree in coaching. You work with groups and you work with individuals. And I find this to be a really fascinating career. Um, I, you know, I'll sometimes see internet coaching certifications you could do in a day, you know, of ads that are being directed Boy, at me. If only you could see my face and my eyes rolling at this point. The weekend warrior coach is what I call that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think if you're going to do anything well, you've really got to sink your teeth into it, right? And the program that you went through sounds like a more intensive, deep kind of a program. So what are your thoughts on coaching? How is it unique? Um, something you said earlier about therapy. I mean, it's very different than therapy. Um, what ways are it, is it different? So being that your people are creative, I'm sure that they can follow this metaphor. So imagine <laughs> a straight it. line. Yeah, imagine <laughs> yes. a straight line, okay. like a horizon line, and then there's an umbrella. And that umbrella is psychology. Now draw a line down the center of that umbrella and towards my left. We'll call that clinical psychology on that side of the umbrella. And on the right side of the umbrella is positive psychology. Now take that umbrella handle right in the center of the line of the horizontal. Right in that middle to the left of it under clinical psychology is therapy and counseling and then psychotherapy. So you have more diagnosis or definite can be diagnosis on that left side of the umbrella under clinical psychology. It has a purpose, it has a place, it has a reason, it has a definition. And the farther you get towards the left-hand side of that line, the more you'll go, you, more labels you'll have and maybe even medication. So uh, and psychiatrics are on the far end. Now back to that center line where you have counseling therapy, right to the right of it, where it shifts over into positive psychology is, is coaching. And then further towards the right, I would define that as also mentorship and teaching. Hmm. So more towards the right, the farther end is the telling experts. Let me tell you how something is done. Mm. This is how, this is why. Expertise. Mm. The center where coaching is focuses on the present into the future mm. towards the right. And the clinical psychology side focuses on the present, but it really focuses on the past. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the left hand side is on the past, the right-hand side is on the present and the future. 
And so that coaching model is similar to therapy in that it's a conversation. So if, you, if you've had therapy before, you may think, oh, this seems really similar because I am talking about myself. But the coach, a good coach, a great coach is going to stop you, pause you, halt you, and ask you really pointed, sometimes provocative questions to tease the better part of yourself in the moment mm-hmm. and to help you move into the future. Mm-hmm. Therapy and counseling allow you to answer questions about how was last week and stay there. Not that they aren't important and valuable parts, because Mm -hmm. sometimes you do need to go about the past and talk about the past in a way that you have nobody else who's going to sit with you and listen to you for 60 minutes talk about how you grew up. Mm -hmm. But that's important Mm -hmm. because sometimes Mm -hmm. you do need to really clean house from the past. But as a coach, I'll allow you to fish into your past to pull out a valuable nugget, but I'm not going to let you, you know, put on your concrete shoes and and sink down to the bottom and let you wallow in it. I'm going to call you Mm -hmm. out on your patterns and say, okay, enough. What is it about that that is valuable now? And what do you want to create with it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A pattern with awareness, you know about it, and intention is the formula to create a new reality that you want Mm. versus not awareness and not intention allows you to repeat a pattern that most likely you either don't want or that you don't know that you don't want because it's a loop and you're just sort of stuck in that pattern. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Or you can't see it at all because you're in the middle of it. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And some of the things you're saying bring to mind how, you know, I teach art classes and it's really my favorite thing to do is to work one-on-one with people. And of course I'm giving them skills that you say, you know, the teacher is way over here in this other side. I'm giving them skills, but then ultimately I want for them to be moving forward and saying what they want to say with their paintings, um, with their artwork, and it's becoming their own voice. So I, there's a point at which I'm coaching them, if you will, I'm going to use because I don't, I can't use the label coach the way you can, but I'm I'm helping them in that same, similar way to figure out what it is they want to say and move forward in their own voice. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, not copycatting me or anything, but it's from their own experience and it's doing, it's the artwork itself is, is playing the role that they really want it to play in their lives. Yeah. 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 So that's definitely coaching and mentoring probably play into that role because you're a teacher. So you're Mm -hmm. teaching them how to, you're coaching them on reflecting curious questions, and then again, leading them and directing them towards what they need to do. And the coach is less of the director and more of the co-creative catalyst. Mm -hmm. They are the occasion Mm -hmm. for imagination to occur. And as a teacher, I mean, it's kind of, it's a given. That's where Mm -hmm. that positive psychology comes into is not 
what's wrong with you? What did you do wrong? But what did you do right here? And mm-hmm. how can you improve if you continue doing something right? Yes. Versus you are wrong. This is wrong. Yes. Everything's wrong. But what's yes. right? What's useful? What's good? And what, yeah. what's the next right step? Yes. In some jobs, I've had some art teaching jobs, I had to do critiques. Um, and But I would always start with a positive question, like what is working here? What's what do we want to keep? What are the strengths? Um, you know, and sometimes that's all we need to do is talk about those strengths and then, okay, let's build on that. We don't even need to go into some nitpicky stuff that tends to be uh, stylistic. Right. Uh, you know, anyway. Um, okay, well, my final question for you, Annalise, is I'm writing a book on symbols and I love to hear about what images are important to people. What's your favorite symbol uh, and what does that represent to you? Well, it's interesting because I remember you sending me these questions in advance. And I think when I wrote it, I said the heart, but that's not true. It is, but my symbol that I use in my signature is if you were to write stars and it has like those little three stars, the emoji symbol. Um, I use that because to me, it represents energy and frequency and imagination and possibility and hope as if there's a magical moment or a magical sound. So I don't know what the emoji for a proton or a gluon or a quark is, but so I'll stick. I'll stick with the little star symbols. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great! Great, wonderful. Well, any final thoughts for our listeners, Annalise? When does your book come out? Well, I'm in the middle of writing it. I'm in chapter three right now. So, yeah. Well, we got to finish it first. But I, I have a, a deadline, sort of, because I got a grant to write it. So then the grant you. is all for next year in 2022. So where'd you get the grant from? Um, the um, uh, Indiana Arts Commission is part of their on-ramp program. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. what's your intent with a symbolism book? Mm. That's a great question. I've noticed over time how I'll go through phases where I'm drawn to hands as a symbol in my painting, or um, I've done vision board workshops. I do one every New Year's where, you know, people just, they gravitate towards sun, the sun image or a mountain or, or this or that or the other. Um, and why is it that we're drawn to certain symbols? What are we finding in them that's comforting? And what does it say about us? And there's, there's so much, you know, everything from psychology to, you know, we can look at cave paintings. What, what symbols have we been doing for thousands and thousands of years? Um, and there's just, there's so much to cover with the topic of symbols that I've, I've dived into the deep end of that pool and am wallowing in, in it right now. So, yeah. I <laughs> love it. Yeah. It's about patterns. Yes. And I've got a couple yeah. of pieces here at my house that... I'd love to share with you. One of them has Afro-Cuban symbols. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, teeny bit. Yeah, 
So I will take you to see this painting. Oh, this, this is called Warning, Return the Blessing. And it is the story of how generations of women pass down knowledge to feed and give back and nurture the roots of humanity and nature. And then if you don't return the blessing, uh, we'll be in trouble. So Ooh. this is part, part about nature. And I'll show you these symbols. So this stands for creativity, wisdom, unity, and death's messenger. Ooh. So each one of those symbols has uh, lines, straight lines with mm -hmm. different shapes. This one has leaves. It has almost like threads like um, snowflakes. The unity one in particular is, is interesting to me because it reminds me of the merging of circles, but also pulling away in this connection mm. between all things. And death messenger is really complex. And I know all indigenous cultures have different um, stories that they tell. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of art in this, in this space, a lot mm. of creativity. This particular one uh, is called Water Mist and the Golden Mean. Um, this oh. is <laughs> removable fractal pieces that are also scratch and sniff. Oh, <laughs> awesome. So my work is all interactive. It's, it used mm. to be very um, work that you looked at. Like here's my version with the girl with the pearl earring. Okay. Very lovely. But now it's highly textured. Okay. Has a lot of reflective pieces and removable pieces. And the same here. So this has nine fractals in it and it's quite large. So these were the fractal touchable series was all painted live. Okay. okay. Very, very detailed. And mm. like here is the out of the frame also painted live. Is that and, the one that, that you said is 17 pieces that? Mm -hmm, and they're all. Oh, wow. Removable. Okay. And they have coaching prompts on the back. So they're highly awesome. textured. All of this work is removable, touchable, um, has its sensory triggers for sensor for the senses. Okay. Okay. Either uh, smells, tactile, like really grabbing it, playing okay. with it, okay. um, glow in the dark. So it, it takes you to all the phases of life. Mm. They're not standard. Yeah. <laughs> They're not expected. And I want to yeah. set off a lot of alarms at museums around the world. And the one thing that I learned is at what point did we remove ourselves from the process of art that we became the observers so much so that we're not allowed to go there? Mm -hmm. It made me feel, how is my work allowing me to permit people to not go there. And that's why I don't just paint for painting's sake. Mm. 
Mm. On occasion, I'll have a commission and that commission is per request, but the client is an intricate part of the process. Mm. I don't paint in isolation. I don't drink in isolation and I don't paint in isolation anymore. I engage mm. people in observing a process. So therefore I either paint it live or I stream it live. And I engage the client who is um, commissioning me to, to, sh to share something about themselves so that they are a part of the process. And because my paintings are the way they are, it allows them to do so, um, which tends to help nurture grief, um, care for maybe something that hadn't been cared for in the past about themselves. And it helps them bridge a need in their life. So the painting turns out to be something very, very, very valuable to them, not just because they bought it, but mm. because they were a part of the creative process. Mm. And that's why my work is no longer about for just product sake, very, mm. very much for process sake, because I feel um, it's important. As a matter of fact, did you read my poem about art and artists on my website? So here's my poem on artists. Artists have an important role in society. We hold a space for communication, a space to decode the complex rhetoric of the everyday. Artists are the eyes of the blind who do not know they cannot see. We are the hearts of the blocked who do not know they are confined. We are the ears of the deaf who do not know how to listen. We are the senses of society and the mouthpiece for a message. We are modern day shamans. We are artists. Mm. Hey Thank there. you for having me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, what a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much, Annalise, for coming on the show. You yeah. are so welcome, Addie. This has been a real, real treat. This concludes the Alchemy of Art podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.